Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. How are you guys doing? Are you happy to be in church today? Great. Well, I'm pretty blessed because I was here with, um, with both services last week and this week, and I was really looking forward to actually going through this passage of Scripture because I'm praying it's going to mess us up. So if you want to leave, now's your opportunity. <laughs> um, it was the, I had the privilege of just being with our worship team um, on Wednesday and um, just started talking through a bit of this, and God was kind of like, God was speaking, I thought. And um, I, I, like, I'm sort of thinking, like, gee, I, I wish everyone in the church was here to, there to hear that. Um, so I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do the same thing, but we'll see. Um, far out. I turned 41 this week. How about that? <clears throat> A couple of people are happy about that. I feel like I'm a little bit wiser. A little bit. Researchers and um, those who do church growth and those who've had a lot more experience than what I have, they reckon, and, and, and time is going to tell to see if this is true in our particular church, but they reckon it takes seven to eight years to change a church. And then they kick on and they say that it takes eight to ten years to transform a church. And that's pretty important for us to understand and recognize that we are no longer in that season of change. We have now stepped into transformation. I've been senior pastor of this church for over eight years now. So we've kicked into that. For myself, I think um, like people talk about Simon just turned 30 the other week. And 30 is a great man, but let me tell you, 40s are fantastic. 40s are great. I'm looking, in fact, I'm looking forward to my 50s. Anyone like to say 50s are good? What about 60s? Are 60s all right? People reckon, and these are people, I don't know if they're trying to like make themselves feel better and all that, but this is what they say. They say when you hit your 50s and 60s, you hit the prime of your life because you really understand who you are. You also understand who you're not, and you're actually just so content. So I'm looking forward to that. But I understand just being 41, um, I'm very, very comfortable with who I am. I, I do not consider myself a novice anymore. And it's important, I was talking to our worship team, it's important for us to understand and recognize that as a church, we are not novices anymore. We have moved from a season. Sometimes we think that we stay in seasons. This particular generation where we are right now in history, we have invented a season of life which is called adolescence. Did you know that? No other previous generation in history had adolescence. You were either a child or an adult. <laughs> but we have created adolescence and what we have happening right now is that we've got 30, 35, 40 year olds still acting like they're adolescents and they haven't moved on in life. And sometimes even as a church, we think that we're still in this season, we're still in this stage. And I just need to let you know right now that we are no longer in that season. We are now in a season of transformation, of actually seeing what God will do in and through this church to actually impact this generation like never before. And I think that the purpose and the plans of this church go far beyond Armadale. There's actually something upon this church that is supposed to reach out and actually infuse other parts of this nation and region. Anyway, we haven't started the message. Does that resonate with anyone, by the way? All right. So today's message, 
Today's message, I guess in line of that, today's message is we are the church. Are you happy to be the church? We are the church, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. You can get your Bible ready for that. We are the church. Let me pray, and then we will see what God will say to us. And I'm praying that by his beautiful scripture, he is literally going to mess us up. Mess us up. Father, we come before you. We ask by your beautiful Holy Spirit that you would mess us up. That we would understand what your church is, who we are as being part of your church. Undull our ears, soften our hearts that we may learn and we may understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just, um, just out of curiosity, who's been a Christian for more than five years? More than ten years? As we've been journeying in this church, have you realized, have you recognized, acknowledged that you've had to unlearn a whole heap of stuff? Right? You're having to unlearn a whole lot of stuff. Like, where's Jess meddling? Where, where is she? She's, oh, oh, she's out there. She was singing over here, and like, she's coming up. Like, I remember like, I had a conversation with her last week, and she's saying, Dave, like, Scripture's amazing. All that. I said, Jess, here's the deal. You're so young, you don't have to unlearn anything. Right? It's easy for the younger generation. It's harder for the older generation because we have to unlearn stuff to actually get into this. We have a whole bunch of tradition that isn't necessarily this. And what we're endeavoring to do as we're going through Scripture, as we're letting Scripture speak for itself, is to go back to the original stuff and actually learn who we are, who God is, what He is doing, and actually walk in that. Amen? That's what we're doing. We are the church. That's an interesting word, church, isn't it? Some love it. Does anyone love the church? Most people here, no, only three people actually. You guys are not responding this morning, by the way. Some people love the church. Some people hate the church. The church can be a really unifying word and the church can also be a very divisive word, can't it? I mean, you go out there and you just say, you know what, I'm part of the church. You go into certain certain arenas of of the social landscape and you know what, you will get like maybe an applaud. In other words, in other places, you might get someone who just wants to attack you because the church is that kind of word. And I think it's one of those words that provokes so much things. And for those of us who've been journeying with Jesus for a large period of time, we will be very, very familiar with that word church. And I think that it's such a profound word. It's such a... Um, evocative word that it actually deserves an appropriate meme for 2020. And I thought this would be the most appropriate word, meme, for the word church. How about you check this out? It comes from a great film, which most of us would be aware of. Church. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. That's where we're at in 2020 as a church. And what Paul is going to endeavor to do as we're going to go into Ephesians chapter 3, he is going to tell us who we are as the church. And let me tell you, what Paul tells us about the church is very different to what we perceive and what we believe the church really is. Because if we actually looked at Scripture and we believe what the Apostle Paul said about the church, we would not be a weak church in Perth. We would not be a church of apathy. We would not be a disengaged church. We would be a church that is so feisty, so fiery, so intimidating to the principalities and powers of this world. We would be a church that literally moves. I sound, anyway, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to be looking at that, the church. And I'm praying by the end of this that we are going to be completely messed up with the church, the church, the church. So we would fall more in love with the church. I'm in love with the church. People make the mistake about my life. They think, oh, Dave, you're so passionate. You read your Bible. You study your Bible because you're a pastor. 
I was doing this stuff before I was a pastor. If something had to happen and if I wasn't a pastor tomorrow, I'd still be doing this. Because I'm a Christian. I've put my whole eternity on this. It makes no sense that if you put your whole eternity on this, that you do not know it. That does not make any sense at all, does it? Anyway. So we're in this book that we call the letter to the Ephesians, and we're about to head into chapter 3. And um, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, I encourage you to get into the podcast, make sure you're studying. Do not be left behind, because you just need to know right here where we are, we're just heading on back, heading on, right? So please do not be left behind. Uh, Make sure you get engaged and you're studying. But you know what? If you were away for the last couple of weeks, the beautiful thing about Ephesians is that there's some significant verses that are throughout Ephesians. In fact, if you were to take the three most significant verses of the first three chapters of Ephesians, they would actually tell you a significant amount of what Paul is saying about who we are, what God is doing, what our part is in God's story, and, um, and what his vision is. And um, that's really good for us to know. The first significant verse in the book of Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10. And it says this, And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. That verse lets us know that God has an ultimate vision. He has an ultimate plan that he is actually aligning. He is actually bringing about the reversal of a disjoint that happened in Genesis. He is bringing everything together under the unity of Jesus Christ. Everything on earth and in the heavenlies, by the way. So when we think that all this gospel is is about humanity, no, we're talking about humanity. We're talking about creation. We're also talking about, if you look at in a book of Colossians, we're even talking about the powers actually being united as well and reconciliation happening like there. So he has got a plan and a purpose of bringing the whole cosmos into alignment. This is a significant plan. And if we do not understand the plan of God, what did I say a couple of weeks ago? If we do not understand the end or our, or our clarity of the end determines our behavior in the middle. And sometimes when Christians are all tripping up, they just simply do not have clarity of the end. And the reason why they don't have clarity in the end, it means they're all just tripping up, they're living in darkness in the middle, when you have brand new life that you can live in right here, right now, not determined on what you did yesterday, you can have new life right now. If we do not understand our hope, if we do not understand what is at the end, we're going to be messing up in the middle. So that's important for us to know. The second one is... Ephesians 2.10, you can remember that, eh? Ephesians 1.10, Ephesians 2.10, this is making it very simple for us. For we are God's masterpiece. Anyone feel like a masterpiece? A masterpiece. (laughs) He has created us anew. I love that. In Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. A fortnight ago, we were talking about our situation, that we were literally the walking dead. That we will live neither here nor there. We're not fully alive. We're not fully dead. We're like living in this place. We're like the living dead. And what God has done through Jesus Christ is we used to be the living dead, but now we are God's new creation and now we are walking in good works. In fact, the way that you and I live and walk in this new life that Christ has given us is by walking in these good works. The problem happens in the church is because Christians get offended and they get hurt and they get upset with churches. Anyone got, has anyone been hurt by the church here? Lift your hand up. Anyone who doesn't have their hands lifted up, I mean, you are just lying or you're not part of the church. Because the church is family. Families mess up. Anyone got like a really like nice and neat family? My, my family's messed up. 
This is what happens. We get hurt, we get offended, and we stop walking in those good works. And as soon as you stop walking in those good works, guess what? You stop walking in your new life. Wow. And we haven't even got to what we're talking about today. <laughs> we were all like that. We were all like that. And I love the fact that we're God's masterpiece. Sometimes I think we use wrong language because you say, you know what, I know I'm saved by grace, but I'm not perfect. Yeah, you're not perfect, but you need to understand this. The day that you gave your life to Jesus, you became something brand new. Brand new. Brand new. Something brand new. We are a new creation. We are God's masterpiece. We are his symphony. Ephesians 1.10, Ephesians 2.10, and guess what? In chapter 3... The key verse is Ephesians 3.10. So you can remember those, eh? Now, for Ephesians 4, it's not 4.10. Just so you know, but we'll get to that. So I reckon, like, even as you go home, if you can just reflect and meditate on Ephesians 1.10, Ephesians 2.10, Ephesians 3.10, and understand the implications and how to appropriate Scripture in your life, that'll radically change your complete outlook on, in the world. You know, it'll actually be fantastic. Ephesians 3.10 is, well, we're going to get to that, so I'm not going to read that yet. So I'm going to read through Ephesians 3, verse 1 to 13, and um, then we're going to launch into um, what Paul is actually talking about. And I'm praying that um, it's actually going to bring some great understanding as to who we are as the church of Jesus Christ, our part to play. And it'll actually, when those moments of disengagement, when those moments of apathy, when those moments where all of us are tempted to, to go back to walking in these dead ways of living. It makes no sense, right? If you were born again, if you were living in life, to go and start walking in dead stuff. But well, we all do it from time to time, don't we? Even those of us who think we're so religious, we do. But if we understand, we understand like who we are, that'll be a good safeguard for us to actually stop and not go down that way and actually live in the life. So I'm going to read Ephesians 3 verse 1 to 13. Um, and again, I encourage you just to hear it um, as I read through. So here we go. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. And by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through 
Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. As we've been, like, I've been reading and you've been hearing every single week, have you been able to pick up on some things that you may have missed in your devotions as you're just reading? These are, these are great letters, Old Testament and New Testament, to actually get your version app out, put your headphones in and press play and just listen. Sometimes I think the Christians think they're cheating because instead of reading their Bible, they're listening to their Bible, not knowing that these books, these letters were actually written to be heard, not necessarily read. So if you are one of those people and you actually like prefer or you learn better, you remember things better, or even if it comes down to time, it's like, you know what, I'm driving, I've got like a half hour trip to work today. Instead of listening to like the radio, how about you just put on that and, and do that and you will actually get so much out of it. This section of Paul's letter is bookended. It is bookended. It's bookended by verse 1 and verse 13. And this is the very first time that we actually learn about Paul's situation or his circumstances. Ephesians 3 verse 1 says this, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. Ephesians 3 verse 13 says, So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honoured. This is the very first time that we actually get a glimpse and an insight. Isn't it amazing that it takes three chapters before Paul tells people where he's at? You know, how different is that to me or you? You know, hey, Dave, how are you doing? You know what? This week's been a shocker. <laughs> you know what? It's really hard right now. No, for Paul, it actually takes three chapters before he starts that. And what I think was happening over here, this section provides a literary example of the reality of life for each and every one of us. The situation is Paul's in prison. You know, I mean, if, if you're going to lead with something, I mean, I'd be tempted to lead with that. Right. There's no one here in prison unless you came here like unwillingly. But this section is bookended with Paul's circumstance. And our life will always be bookended with circumstance. Always. Those bookends will change. But wherever you and I find ourselves, our lives will always be bookended with circumstance. I mean, where do you find yourself today? What circumstances bookending your life right now? Are you employed or are you unemployed? Are you single? Are you married? Are you divorced? They're all circumstances, aren't they? They're all situations. Are you happily like, living in certainty of life? Or is there ambiguity right now? Right now, there's ambiguity. You don't know exactly what next week's going to look like. That's a situation. That's a circumstance, isn't it? Have you arrived at the destination of your life? You know, you're one of those people. You got up in life and you say, this is where I'm going to end. I've got a five-year plan. I've got a 15-year plan. I've got a 20-year plan. And lo and behold, you're one of the rare people. You had a five-year plan and you've arrived at your destination. Is anyone like that here? Because I'd sure love to have a chat with you. <laughs> Do you feel trapped? Do you feel locked in? Our entire life is bookended with circumstance. And this, situ and this um, section of scripture is bookended. Understand it is bookended 
by circumstance. The circumstances have not made their way to the middle of a thing. We're going to get to that. But the circumstances sure are on the bookend of things right now. I think this is a great example of life where all of us are. I remember years and years ago hearing like people say, and, and say, you know, people would say things, and I read things, say, you know what, every 7 to 11 years, something will happen in your life, and it will actually cause a reinvention. Something drastic will happen, and it will cause a shift, and something will happen, and, and it's a situational thing. And I thought, yeah, right, yeah, right, until it started happening with me. And lo and behold, right the first time, right on 11 years, bang, it was 11 years. Every 7 to 11 years, something tends to happen. But those happenings, they can't be our identity. They are just the bookends. They are not the core. They are not the center. Unfortunately, for most people who live in our Western culture, circumstances are where we find absolute meaning and absolutely everything. Is that not true? You know? I'll tell you how it's I'll tell you why it's true, because we have created a multi-billion dollar industry that absolutely thrives off it. It is called the social media. Has anyone done that? Like, you like sort of like make sure that you take the right picture in the right place. <laughs> you crop it, you filter it, you make sure it looks absolutely perfect. I remember reading a couple of years about articles about like husbands who would actually go in these awkward positions and like on rocks and on balconies, putting their life at risk so they get the perfect photo of their wife so they can go on Instagram. Like even recently I came across like a Facetune app. Apparently I can take this old mug and actually put it in an app and make it look pretty. I don't know how I can do it. In fact, I might even try that to see if it's possible. I don't know, but you know, you could even Facetune your face. There are so many things there is a multi-billion dollar industry that is thriving off this stuff. You know why it's thriving? Because people generally believe it. That's why. They're not genius. They've just locked into something that people fundamentally believe. It's so easy. It's so easy. Circumstances define everything. Unless you have a concept of your calling. Everything. And if you think about it, it's a bit dumb, really, but like, we still fall for it. If, if your circumstances, if your situation defines everything, you know, like imagine you go snorkeling in this beautiful like, 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 um, like coral reef and there's like, fish all around and everything. Just because you're surrounded by fish doesn't make you a fish, does it? No. But it is something that we do actually... Belief. But what is happening here is that there are two things that are being articulated in this section of Scripture. Paul is talking about his situation. He's talking about his circumstance. Yeah, I'm in jail right now. I'm under house arrest right now. And here's the deal with Paul. He is under house arrest waiting probable death. Right? So I don't think anyone here is waiting probable death. So that's where Paul is right now. So he's articulating in the bookends, this is my situation, this is my circumstance. But right in the middle, he's actually talking about his calling, his understanding of calling. So Paul has this fundamental understanding that even though my life is being bookended right now and throughout his entire life there have been different bookends, his life is not defined by the bookends, it's actually defined by the calling. But if you do not, like, it makes complete sense. Imagine your life, two bookends, and there's a calling in between. If you do not know your calling, all you're left with is bookends. And that is the issue. If all we are left with is bookends, we are going to be subject to those circumstances like never before. And, and you know, if you have no idea about what your calling is, then the circumstances that we find ourselves in, guess what? They're going to absolutely rock you. 
And you know what happens when your circumstances rock you? All of a sudden, you get being led by your emotions. Is that not right? Instead of leading your emotions. Life is supposed to be an act of your will. We are supposed to employ godly wisdom. So this is what happens. If you and I make the decision to actually like sort of lead ourselves, like appropriately, the hardest person you're ever going to lead is yourself, right? And if I make the decision, I am actually going to follow and I'm going to actually utilize, I'm going to put in place good, godly, wise decisions. Guess what? My emotions start to follow my decisions, but we're living in this world and they are just, people are just being followed by their emotions. And if you are led by your emotions, you can end up absolutely anywhere. But if we live in such a way that we say, no, what, my emotions are going to be led by my decisions, that is a completely different game changer. I mean, I reckon one of the most fundamental areas is the area of love, right? Anyone in love here? If you're next to your spouse, you better be saying you're in love. You better be. Otherwise, next week we're going into a marriage series. <laughs> you say, you know what? Like, do you see these couples that, you know, I'm just looking for love. Really? Is that what you're looking for? Is that what you're looking for? Because I thought, like, if you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, this is the assumption I made, right? I, I, I assumed that you were actually looking for a suitable companion in life who's going to be compatible with you. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Is that not the directive? I mean, does that not suggest that I'm actually looking for a suitable companion to walk with me in life? And if you don't have some bedrock foundational stuff on together, you're going to be struggling. I don't care how much that boy looked good and how good his six-pack is right now. You know what? You know what? That six-pack's going to look like this in about 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to make myself feel better. I've never had a six-pack. <laughs> but is that not right? But, 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 but that's what happens, isn't it? So you, you, you look for, but, but, but you make a decision based on godly wisdom. And when you make a decision based on godly wisdom, those emotions start to follow. I'm spending too much time on this point because I'm going to run out of time. So Paul finds himself in a far worse um, circumstantial state than all of us have. And with it is uh, these bookends of, of, of being under house arrest and probable death, which is going to come. He starts to outline some things. He outlines his, the plan of God, which he's already talked about in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. And it's amazing. He goes into Ephesians 3 and he starts talking about that again. But then what he does, he actually unpacks something unexpected, something new. And he actually starts talking about God's purpose when it comes to this plan. And what he does, he actually drills down on a group of people who walk this earth, which are called the church. He's talking about the calling that you and I have as a church of Jesus Christ. But before he does that, he starts talking about God's plan, which we're familiar with. Verse 6 says this, and this is the plan. Aren't you glad that when Paul's talking about the plan, he actually identifies, this is what I'm going to be talking about, and this is the plan, right? And this is the plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the rich riches inherited by God's children. There's the vision again. It's family. This is throughout the entire thing. What is God's vision? It is family, right? Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise 
of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. I love verse 7. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege. Everyone say privilege. I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. I mean, have you been given that same privilege? Do you know you've been given that same privilege? Do you share this good news? Verse 8, though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege. He must think this is a privilege. <laughs> of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasure available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. This is a plan which you and I simply need to know. We simply need to know. How is this plan possible? We've been talking about this as we've been unpacking the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. When Paul says that we were dead, now we're alive, we were far, now we're near. Because we're in Christ, we have a heavenly Father, we're adopted into his family. And he's saying that you need to know how, you need to know how this has all happened. It's happened because we've been adopted. It's happened because we're in Christ. But you also need to know the what. The what. You can't just be expounding the how. You need to be telling people and explaining the what. That is what it means to actually explain and tell everyone what this good news is. What this good news is. What it is. And after doing this, Paul takes a sudden turn, which drills down to one group of people who walk the face of this earth. This group of people is called the church. We are the church. To have a high view of Jesus and to have a low view of his church and a place in it simply means that you actually have a very low view of Jesus. Have you met people say, I love Jesus, I don't really like the church? That actually says something about your view of Jesus. You can't have that. God won't allow it. If someone came to me and said, you know what, I love the writers. I don't think too much of Andrea. How do you think I'm going to react to that? I mean, I'm not going to be sending you any Christmas cards. <laughs> to have a high view of Jesus, we must have a high view of his bride. You could be sitting here, part of the church, and not have a high view of the church. And you need to understand right now that you may think that's okay, but Jesus doesn't think that's okay. Because to have a high view of Jesus and have a low view of the church means that you have a low view of Jesus. Lift up your eyes. Gaze upon his majesty. Lift up your eyes. Praise him and give him glory. Lift up your eyes and see how beautiful and wonderful he is. Lift up your eyes and behold our Jesus and you will have a high elevation of his church. High elevation of his church. I feel like I'm stepping on toes. I'm fulfilling my job description. You know what happens? This is what happens, okay? When we, when we don't have a high view of the church, this is what happens. We fall into this crazy mode where we strive and we elevate roles above the calling of the church. 
So, so we move into almost like this celebrity kind of mindset where, where, we, where we elevate the role of the pastor or the role of the worship leader or we elevate the roles of business leaders and, and things like that. And what happens is that everything out in the world, it, it can easily be replicated in the church and elevated by the church and it begins this unhealthy drive and pursuit that comes is because we elevate roles above the calling of the church for one simple reason. The simple reason is this, when we use that word church, we keep using that word, but you know what? I don't think it means what you think it means. In fact, it means a lot more than what you and I could possibly ever imagine. And my contention is this, if God is doing a new thing through his church, well, maybe we should get a better handle on what it means to be the church. Does that not make sense? We're going to focus on Ephesians 3, verse 10. I'm going to read verses 10 to 12. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in his rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. As I said before, up until this point, we've learned so much of this good news. It's great news. It's fantastic news. I love what Graham Cook says. You know what? If it doesn't seem too good to be true, it's not the gospel, right? Because the gospel is too good to be true. It is incredible. But we've learned that we're adopted. Isn't that amazing that we've got a heavenly father? He's a good heavenly father. He gives us every spiritual blessing. He's given us a great inheritance. In fact, it's t- it gives him great pleasure to give us an inheritance. That we were once the walking dead. Now we walk in good works. That we were once far. Now we're near. In fact, that we are now those who are actually breaking apart those walls which have been broken through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember last week's message? Yeah. And now, in light of all of this, Paul goes on to explain God's purpose in all of this great stuff, his purpose in all of this great news. And his purpose is simply this, that, it, that all of this was to use the church. It was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It is as if the absolute reality is the church, we are playing a cosmic role that involves not just believers, not just the unchurched, but is also a cosmic role that is actually impacting and influencing and setting things in play for the unseen rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And Paul's already explained to us that there are rulers and there are authorities, there are principalities in the heavenlies. Our problem is we think that the heavenlies has nothing to do with what happens here on earth. But Paul has already told us that what's happening in the heavenlies is impacting what's happening here on earth. That there needs to be something that we need to rediscover as Jesus followers, that there are things that are happening in the supernatural. There are things that are happening in the heavenlies that actually impact where you and I are here right now. And we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies so we can actually change some things. What Paul's already told us is that there are principalities, that there are powers, that there are authorities that are blinding and enslaving humanity, that actually promise humanity that there is an avenue, that there is a pathway for them to become truly human. 
Is that not what the whole of humanity is in pursuit of? I want to feel more alive. I want this numbness to go. I feel like there's part of me missing. And the world is actually saying, I get you. I'm with you. So this is how you're going to find fulfillment. This is how you're going to find wholeness. And what happens is that there is such a deceptivity that is happening as people are actually journeying down this path which promises this utopia. As they journey down their path, they're becoming more enslaved. That's the reality, right? And that is what the rulers and the authorities, the principalities are doing. That's why it is so important to stay part of the family of God. Because it doesn't matter how strong you are, how smart you are, or how everything you got together, if you're left by yourself, you are so often, we can go down these pathways that promise so much, but they entangle and they trap you and they enslave you. And that's why you need some brothers and sisters in Christ to give you a tap on the shoulder and say, Psst, you're heading the wrong way. Come back. And some people here today, you're heading the wrong way. And you need to come back. I don't even know who that is, but we just say what God wants us to say. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3 lets us know that all of us were once here. All of us were once here. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Get this. The commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. This world is a world where there is darkness and there is slavery. There are people in this world who are beautiful. They are made in the image of God. We should have such love and such delight and so much compassion for them. But they are in this world and they are living in such darkness. They are living in slavery. There is such a hopelessness that is under the judgment of God. Yet we as a church, we are living in a contradiction to the way that the rest of the world is living. Because as the world is living in this slavery, we are living free. Amen? Are you living free? Yeah, we are living in light. Anyone living in light? I love living in the light. I used to live in darkness. I used to live there. Now I live here. I can tell you which one I prefer, <laughs> right? We're flourishing. Anyone flourishing? You got some families that are flourishing? Any of your kids flourishing? Any marriages here flourishing? Maybe we do have to do a marriage thing. Are there any marriages flourishing here? Like the more you're married to your wife, fellas, the more you love her. Like, have you ever like sort of sat there and say, I don't even know if she's an angel or not. I mean, it's like, seriously. Marriages that are flourishing. My goodness. I loved a couple of weeks ago, Brett used this analogy, which I wish, oh man, I mean, I'm going to steal it because it was that good. It was, it was just so good. He said, you know, he, he said we, 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 we are not like flowers that are cut off from the source, sitting in a vase. Because even though they look alive, they're actually dead. I would rather be connected to the true vine than be like a flower that's cut off and looks like it's alive, but you're actually dead. The world is these flowers cut off from the true source, living their life in these vases. And our life is a complete contradiction to that. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in such a way that if those principalities, if the devil himself walked into this place, I want him to be intimidated by me. I don't want to be intimidated by him. I don't want to live this fake Christian life. 
I certainly do not want to be part of like a church and we are intimidated with the principalities and powers and all these things that are happening in this world. I want to be a church that is for real, for real. You know what I'm saying? We want to live the real deal because we understand that we were once dead, now we're alive. We were once in darkness, now I'm in light and now I can flourish. I want to actually have some real power in my life. The church lives as a staggering contradiction to what these rulers and these authorities are endeavouring to do. And you need to acknowledge those words, rulers and authorities. You need to acknowledge that because that's exactly who they are and what they have. They do have authority. They are rulers. They do have authority. But they don't have authority on your life unless you give it to them. And if you have given it to them, take it back. Take it back. The Western church, we've become so modern and rational in our thinking that we no longer think that there is anything to the heavenlies. We cut ourselves off from anything supernatural. I remember when I first came to this church, I felt sick, like almost like vomit. Like not just on the Sunday, just walking through, there was some stuff going on here. Oh my gosh. There was some stuff. I remember like we had one thing like um, we, we had these prophet guys and they were like, um, they needed a church because they couldn't find a building. So randomly they gave me a call and said, yeah, I'll give you the keys, you come here. And it was like an incredible weekend. I don't even, like, like, it was years, it was like eight years ago. And like, I said at the end of it, oh, would you pray for our church? I said, I'm not going to pray for your church. I know what it is. It's witches up there. They are cursing your church. Cursing your church. I know there have been certain things in my own household, in my own house, coming. Early this year, going up to Kalamunda, it was very, very intriguing to me because the feelings I had entering into that place was very similar to what I had when I entered into this place. But you'll notice as you step into this house, even as you drive through here, there's a different atmosphere here, isn't there? The presence of the Lord is here. And you may think, now this is a spiritual principle, especially for, for, for husbands, all right? Now, now you may think that, you know what, it's because this is the house of God. And yes, that is right. But let me tell you, you know, on a little conversation I had with God about eight years ago when this place was just nuts, right? He always comes up. It means I need to start finishing up. <laughs> I go to God and I say this, okay, God, you need to take authority over this place. You know what he said to me? He said, that's your job. As the leader of this house, I take that very, very seriously. There are things that try to enter in my house in Thornley. Mm -mm. Not on my watch. I remember another time when Kayla was, um, before Kayla was born, I did what other people did. I went to God and I said, God, oh God, what's the name of our baby? You know what he said? He said, that's your job, to name your child. Took me back to Adam in the book of Genesis, how he named. There is a spiritual authority on the role of husband, fellas. Step into it. 
We are given positions so that our families are safe, so that our wives flourish. Do not think that your role as a husband is to put yourself on a pedestal. That is not your role. You put her on a pedestal. You serve her. We are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. When you have a marriage where you have two people coming together, two temples of the Holy Spirit, and their aspiration is to serve each other, that is heaven on earth. And that is what marriage is supposed to be. It is supposed to be something that points to the Trinity. There are real rulers and there are real authorities that have authority. They are real, but here's what they don't want you to know. They're real, but they're disarmed. All right? Christ has disarmed them. Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15. I need to get a race along. You were dead because... Just understand how Paul's saying the same things, but he's adding something at the end here. So, so you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. This is actually Paul's ministry. He would go to cities. He would go to places, to Gentile places, and they worshipped a myriad of gods because in their mind, they were not detached from the supernatural. And the reason why they worshipped so many different gods is because if I made this God upset with me, well, then maybe this God will actually like, like do something good for me. And if this God can't do something good for me, I better go back to this God. So there are all these plethora of gods, and they come to Paul and they say, if we're going to start worshipping Jesus, what about all these gods? And Paul actually said to them, you don't understand you don't need to worry about those rulers. You don't need to worry about those authorities because Christ has disarmed all of them. They can't touch you. That's how the gospel grew. That's how it grew. Any authority that these powers have, we've given it. So take it back. Take it back. Do not be a weak, fickle Christian. You're the church. If the glory of God is a human being fully alive, we need to understand and recognize that these rulers and these authorities are working very hard to ensure that that does not happen. Their big problem is they've been disarmed and their big hope is the church doesn't figure that out. Did you get that? That's their problem. They've been disarmed. What they're fixing on, what they're hoping is that we as a church never figure that out. Because the day that we do... Let me show you. We have all these ideas about what the church is. Any notion you have of the church is, put that alongside what Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 10, okay? This is what he says. God's purpose in all, all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities 
in the heavenly places. Other translations say his manifold wisdom. This idea that there is a kaleidoscope of the wisdom of God. It is so multifaceted. It is so multicolored. There are so many different variations and so many different things when it comes to the wisdom of God for the rest of eternity. We still won't know all of the wisdom of God. And Paul is actually saying this is the purpose of the church. With all these principalities, with all these rulers, with all these authorities, with their agenda, that we are to live in this world in such a way that we live, that they are trying to dehumanize people and we live completely free. Our life is supposed to be mocking them because you can't touch me. I picture this. Imagine like an apocalyptic kind of movie. You got like these zombies and people in chains and, and, and like it's all grey and it's all dark. You know, it's like Gotham City or sort of kind of thing. It's like, oh. You see, it's just great. It's just like that kind of picture. And it just looks so terrible. You see people, they're literally in chains. They're literally enslaved. They are tormented. They've been terrorized. There's no way out. And then you look about and you just see these patches of vibrant color all over the place. And you just see them and they're all over the place. And you zoom in and you say, what are these, what are these vibrant colors? What is this? And you actually go in and you see that these groups of people and everyone else is living in this dreary, gray, dehumanized state. And there are these Groups of people who are dancing, they are rejoicing, they are celebrating, and they are full of colour, they are full of life. You wonder, who are these people? They are the church. Our life is supposed to be a mockery. A mockery. You've got this agenda to dehumanise? You ain't touching me. In fact, I'm going to live my life in such a way that it reminds you, I'm mocking you. And not only that, as I live my life, as New Spring, as we live our life, we're telling other people about it. We're going up to other people and saying, have you heard? What have I heard? Have you heard? Have you, have you heard the good news? What good news? Well, the adoption papers are signed. It's all ready to go. In fact, before the foundation of this earth, it's all ready to go. God's, like, God's actually written it up. The Heavenly Father, the good Heavenly Father, He's actually written it up. He's actually signed His side. He's waiting for you. Haven't you heard the good news? Do you not know? Everything's done. He's already made His decision. He chose you. Are you going to choose it? And as we explain the good news, as we tell the good news, as we share the good news, as we live the good news, people become part of God's church. This is how this is supposed to happen. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So imagine, you've got a bunch of friends, and they may not know it, but they're the living dead. Well, don't you become part of the living dead. Live in such a way as to mock those authorities and powers that are enslaving your family, entrapping your family, enslaving your community, in such a way that they look at you and say, wait a minute, how is it that you're dancing and you're rejoicing and you're full of life? Well, let me tell you, the adoption papers have been signed and guess what? Your name's on it, just waiting for your consent. This is how this gospel works. Are you picking this up as we're going through this? And this grand call of the church is bookended. Is bookended. 
by verse 1 and verse 13. Notice what Paul says. Paul, a prisoner, verse 1. But not a prisoner in Rome. Mm -mm. Not a prisoner in chains. No, 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 no. He's saying that's not my identity. If I'm going to be in prison, that's not going to be my identity. If I'm going to be in prison, if I'm going to be in chains, I'm going to be a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Time to put down that victim card today. Because that victim card, you're locked up. And Paul's saying, I ain't gonna, that is not going to be who I am. I'm a prisoner of Christ. And verse 13 says, please don't lose heart because of my trials here. Obviously, he's going through some trials. But he's saying, don't lose heart because of that. I'm suffering for you. So you should feel honoured. Paul's saying, regardless of my circumstance, I am on death row here. But that's not my identity. I'm not the victim. I'm not going to play the victim card here. I'm a prisoner, not in Rome, not in chains. I'm a prisoner for Christ. And it's for your benefit. The way, he's saying, the way that I live right now is an example as to how you are to live. Because our lives will be bookended by circumstances. But they're just a bookend, they're not the calling. And isn't it interesting that after he says this, he starts to pray. And Paul does not pray for things. It's like, God, I just need. I don't know what I need, I just need. Listen to his prayer. In light of this, listen to his prayer for the church. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resource, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Why does he pray that? Because our lives are going to be bookended. And there's a vulnerability when our lives are bookended. There's some bookends in your life right now. You may be sitting here in church, lifting up your hands, saying glory to God. But internally, there is turmoil because of circumstances. And Paul's saying, I understand, I recognize, I can identify because right now my life is being bookended. I'm in prison, y'all. I am in prison. When I see Caesar, chances are he's going to kill me. Our lives get bookended, and Paul's prays, just so those bookends do not infiltrate your life, I'm going to pray for something, that you have inner strength to live out your call as the church. And you do not allow the bookends to derail your call. Because our lives are supposed to live in such a way that we are literally making a mockery of these disarmed powers and authorities in this world. Seriously, we get intimidated by them. They are intimidated by us. Their great hope is that we never figure out that they are disarmed. So Paul prays that we'd have inner strength. So we can live out our call and the purposes of God to be the church. Okay, I've run out of time, but 
as we're closing up. Like I said, I'm praying that this book, this letter is going to mess you guys up. I am privileged. In order to do my job, I need to study and go through this stuff every single day. I understand. I am more blessed. I'm the most blessed person in this room because I have to do this in order to do my job. And let me tell you, it messes me up. And I'm praying that as we engage, it's going to mess you up. We're the church. We use that word. I don't think it means what we think it means. In fact, I'm sure it doesn't mean what we think it means. Because if we get a grapple, a handle on this, we will not be a weak church. We were paralyzed for three months all over the globe, all over the state. Churches are still paralyzed. We've got churches overseas and all over the place infighting over things like race? Wait a minute. I thought that wall of hostility was already broken. And our job is now to break apart a wall that's already broken. And you're going on about race? Principalities and rulers who are behind all this stuff, right? And we are to live in such a life, in such a way, we are to live in the light, in new life, in good works, that when they look in our life and say, we can't touch them. That's right, you can't touch me. And another thing, my entire life, my family, my community, and indeed, New Spring Church, we're going to live in such a way that it makes a mockery of who you are. And it reminds you every single day that you've been disarmed. And we are those who display the manifold wisdom of God to all. And we are those who declare the good news and explain it. And we will literally see thousands come. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for your beautiful presence here. For those hearts here that are weary, I pray refreshing. For circumstances that have come in and derailed. I pray a brand new start right now. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you draw close? Would you draw near? Would you whisper? I pray that this week as we go from this place, as we engage, as we're with you, as we go about our daily life, that you will come and that you would surprise us with your presence, that you would show us your love, you would show us how good you are. I thank you for your word that says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That word repentance means to rethink everything. That Just during this week, that we will have moments where we literally rethink our life in light of the kingdom of God. That we would rethink it. I pray that you would bring a renewal and restore us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.